it can be really, really hard sometimes to admit when we're wrong mm. or to have to ask for forgiveness when we know that we have really blown it. Mm. It can be even more challenging to extend forgiveness to someone when they've hurt us or when they've hurt someone that we really care about. And yet most of us watching this, uh, we've been on the flip side of forgiveness and we also have experienced what it feels like to finally be forgiven. Mm. The freedom that that brings to receive a smile from a friend that you know that you had hurt, Mm. to receive a warm embrace from your spouse that just breaks the, the coldness that was there or to be able to laugh again with one of your kids when previously there was disappointment or anger or hurt. Forgiveness is so powerful. All of us need it and all of us need to give it. There's no accident that when Jesus is telling us how to pray, he includes forgiveness in the Lord's prayer. In verse four in chapter 11, Luke says, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We said at the beginning of our message series that prayer is relational. It's relational with our father in heaven, but it's also relational with other people. Forgiveness is anchored in that concept of a relationship and no relationship can survive without forgiveness. It's the reason why when Jesus prays about forgiveness, he starts with our relationship with our heavenly father He explains that we need forgiveness because of the sin in our lives. That's right. So to ask God to forgive us our sins is really, it's admitting or confessing two really essential things. First, it's to confess that, well, we have sinned, Mm. that that we need God's forgiveness, that we've gone against him and, and his ways. And we're not alone in this. In the third chapter of Romans, uh, verse 23, the apostle Paul says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. If you're like me, when you hear the word sin, oftentimes you, you recognize it as a churchy word. Sadly, the church has taken this word and defined it in a way that scripture doesn't define it. Sadly, we define sin by other people. We define sin by what we think is wrong, not what scripture actually says. So so what is it? There's two examples I wanna give you to help you understand what the Bible truly says about sin. The first is when we sin, we're walking further away from the path that God has for us. God has a path for us where if we would just trust him and walk in his ways, we will live at peace. But so often we walk away from that, away from God, and we don't live a life with peace with God. Another example that's really helpful, the the term sin literally means to miss the mark. I don't know about you, but I've thrown darts in my life and I'm not good at it at all. But when you are throwing darts, at least in the way that I play the game, you're trying to hit the bullseye. And there are times when I will throw a dart and I am so off that like I will hit a light. (laughs) It's really bad. There's other times where I'll throw it and I literally think I hit the bullseye and I'll go and examine it and it's just a millimeter off. It's not at the center. And that's exactly what sin is. 
It's missing the mark that God has set for us to live a perfect and holy life. Sometimes we miss the mark in a really, really big way. Other times it's just a millimeter. It's barely off. But sin, it's not about the bigness or the smallness of what we do. It's about our heart condition. And because of that, it separates us from God himself. That's right. It damages our relationship with God uh, and with other people. So what do we have to do? We have to confess. We have to ask and seek forgiveness. Greg and uh, Aaron Smalley were with us for our recent marriage conference. And one of, one of the things that they said is that when it comes to restoring relationship, uh, there's really three phrases that are absolutely necessary. It's, it's saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and then please forgive me. And Jesus is reminding us of this concept and that when it comes to our relationship with God, we desperately need this forgiveness. So we pray, Lord, forgive us our sins. It, it, it doesn't just mean we admit that we're sinners, but it's also saying that we realize that forgiveness is possible, but that it is incredibly costly. That same passage that we just looked at, Romans chapter three, the apostle Paul, he goes on to say, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. How does he do that? It says he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his own blood. Mm. You see, if, if God is a just and righteous God, then wrongdoing has to be punished. It can't be just let go. But somehow I think sometimes we focus so much on God's grace and his mercy that we forget what that very grace and mercy costs. It costs Jesus his life. There's a story that I heard recently of a family that was cooped up together at home. Hard to imagine that, right? (laughs) And the the mom, she heard this, this cry from one of the back rooms and she ran down the hallway and into the room only to find her seven-year-old son with a wad of his hair grasped by his little baby sister. She was only like a year and a half, two years old. (laughs) And and so quickly the mother, she bends down and she starts to peel back the fingers of her little daughter. And she says to the son, it's okay. She just doesn't know how much it hurts. And he kind of acknowledged for a moment. And then the mom, she left the room and headed back down the hall only now to hear a second blood curdling cry, but now from the little girl. (laughs) And she runs into the room and she says, what happened? And the older son looks at his mom and says, well, she knows how much it hurt now. Now we kind of laugh at that story and yet something deep within us resonates because when we've been hurt, we want the other person to know how much it hurt. And I don't know if we realize how much it hurt Jesus to provide the grace and mercy and forgiveness that you and I receive. You see, because Jesus paid that price, it gives us the ability to be able to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins. 
And I'm grateful that we can pray that. And it's so enriching and life-changing when we know that it cost Jesus everything and we receive the benefits of that. I'll admit to you in this phrase about forgiveness, that's the fun part. That's the easy part, at least for us. But it's that second part of the phrase that I sometimes wish Jesus Mm. left out because he connects forgiveness from God to extending forgiveness to others. Again, in in Luke 11, verse four, he says, forgive us our sins. And we, we like that part. But then he says, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Mm. What Jesus is saying is, yes, you've been forgiven by God and that's changed your life. And yes, you did the wrong thing, but Jesus took on the cost. Now, because your life has been changed and you know the power of forgiveness in your life, other people in your life need that from you as well. That when we are forgiven, we are called to forgive. Hmm. Now, I know for some of you, you are wanting to turn this off right now because to think about forgiving someone seems almost impossible. It's easy to forgive the little things that don't hurt, but there are things in some of our lives that we carry around every day because there is no way we can forgive what the other person did to us. And if that's you, I wanna say I am sorry and I empathize with you. That is such a hard thing to go through. That's why I think sometimes we cheapen forgiveness as if we're supposed to say, hey, you're forgiven and that's it. Forgiveness is a decision. And oftentimes the emotions have to catch up to that decision. But it's a decision that we have to make every single day. It's a choice. It's a process that many of us have to say to that person or people that hurt us, I forgive them over and over and over again. And the only way we can ever begin to get to that point is if we realize how much it cost Jesus to forgive us. It's costly to us, but it benefits the other people. That's why uh, when Jesus is saying about forgiveness from God and to others, another way of putting it is forgiveness is meant to be personally experienced and extended to others. In other words, when we get grace, when we really understand that everything that we have done in our lives against God and against other people have been forgiven, how could we not give that to other people? So here's what we want to do in a moment. The, our worship leaders are going to lead us in some, a song. And, and as we sing this song, we really want to think about two critical questions based upon kind of that, that bottom line truth that, that forgiveness is meant to be both personally experienced mm-hmm. and extended to others. So here's the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, have you truly experienced God's forgiveness through Jesus? Have you? And then the second question, what step do you need to take to to either seek forgiveness or to extend it to someone else? I love how Lewis Smedes puts it. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to realize that that prisoner 
is actually you. Mm. A common phrase that I hear people say to one another is that God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of us have been told that in our lives before? The, the phrase is really comforting because when you hear that, you're thinking, okay, what I'm going through is really hard, but I, I don't think it could ever get harder than this. Hmm. And people say it to you because they want you to be encouraged. They want you to have hope. They want you to get through whatever you're going through. The problem though with that phrase is that God never said it when it comes to pain and suffering. Hmm. In fact, when you look at scripture in the context of pain and suffering, that phrase is not there. Now, some of you who, who know scripture well, or you've heard this phrase so many times, you're thinking it has to be in the Bible yeah. and you're right, it is. But let me read it in the context that the apostle Paul said it in. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And he says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. Now here's our phrase. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Did you notice that God says he won't give you more than you can handle, but it has nothing to do with suffering. In fact, if you were to look at scripture and you were to look at some of the heroes of the faith, including the hero himself, Jesus, you recognize very quickly that they went through more than they could handle. And there are times in your life where you are like, I am going through more than I can handle. Well, the way they got through it is the same way you and I get to get through it. God may not take away the pain, but he promises to show up in that pain. Mm. That these people are trusting in God's character and his faithfulness throughout their lives, especially in the pain and suffering. And I'm grateful for that. But that statement, we need to redeem that statement. We need to bring it back in its context because what it has to say about temptation is life-changing. What Paul is saying here is, listen, you are going to go through temptation, but God won't let you go through more than you can handle. In fact, he will promise to provide a way out if you take it. Yeah. This is exactly what Jesus teaches in this last part of the Lord's Prayer. Luke eleven four. 4, again, it says, Jesus said to pray, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's something that we often overlook here. When, when I read that, I say to myself, Jesus prayed, do not lead us into temptation. And I'm thinking, and maybe you're thinking, well, wouldn't Jesus have just prayed, well, don't even let us face temptation, period, right? So why, why does he say this? Why does he pray it this way? You know, one of the most gripping scenes in the Gospels is found in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus has just been baptized. And in Matthew 4, 1, it says, immediately after this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Now, it's not that the Spirit or that God himself was the one that tempted Jesus. We right. know that was the enemy. But the place where Jesus was led by God's Spirit ended up being a place where he would face temptation. You see, I think what Jesus is helping us see here is that temptation is all around us. Sometimes it's almost unavoidable. Yeah. 
And maybe this is part of the reason why Jesus prayed, do not lead us into temptation. Because he knew what it felt like to be led to a place where he faced grueling temptation. This temptation went on 40 days. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's going without food. He's hungry. He's weak. And he is face to face with the devil himself going at him and at him and at him. And so the question is, how does Jesus deal with that? So that we can know, how do we deal with it? Jesus does so multiple times in the text by sharing one brief phrase. Matthew 4, verses 4 through 7, you see it throughout. Jesus says, for the scriptures say. Mm. So Jesus combats Satan's attacks of temptation by using God's word and holding on to the truth of God's word to fight the temptation. That's why when Jesus is teaching on temptation here, and he's telling us to pray against it. He doesn't say, Father, do not let them be tempted because temptation is an opportunity. Yeah, that's right. I I said it. it. It's an opportunity. In fact, let me flesh that out even more to show you what an incredible opportunity it is. Temptation is an opportunity to turn inward or to turn upward. Sometimes when I read that story of Jesus being tempted, I oftentimes will put myself in his place to think, could I ever ever endure? (laughs) And I start with 40 days and I'm like, nope, can't do that. And then I back it up to one day and I'm thinking, nope, can't do that. And then I say, could I even go an hour? And I don't even know if I can do that. (laughs) Why do I know that? Because I know how I deal with temptation every day in my life. And you probably do as well. How often we are tempted by something. Sometimes it's really big and it can devastate our lives. Other times it's small and it's subtle. And when we're tempted so often, we can resist it. We can use our willpower to fight it. But over time, that temptation continues to call out to us. Mm. and continues to lure us in. And so often we take the easy path and we give up and we give in. That's why oftentimes it's an opportunity to turn upwards, but many times we turn inward. We turn inward because it's easy. We turn inward because we tell ourselves we're self-sufficient. We control what happens in our lives. And therefore, if we want to give into this, well, we can. And we think when we give in to temptation that it's going to satisfy us. It's going to give us what we've been longing for for a long time. And oftentimes it does. That's the scary thing about temptation. It works. It gets you your fix, whatever that fix is. The problem though is it doesn't last. For many of us, what we don't realize is every time we give in to temptation, it's damaging our souls. It's damaging our relationships. And in the end, we will be more empty and less satisfied than we can ever imagine. And I think that's why Jesus ends the Lord's prayer in this way. He doesn't just say, and do not lead us into temptation. But the end of it says, but rather deliver us from the evil one. The Greek word for deliver there means uh, to rescue 
And Jesus is saying that instead of turning inward when we face temptation, that we, it's an opportunity to turn upward towards God and that he will come to our rescue. He will provide a way out from the evil one's schemes of temptation that are hitting us. And this is exactly how Jesus is rescued in these moments of his own temptation as he fights back with the truth of God's word. And then Matthew chapter four, verse 11, it says, and then the devil went away and the angels came and they took care of Jesus. You see, it would have been easy for Jesus to just turn inward and just to give in. But instead he turns upward and he turns to the truth of God's word, the hope of scripture that shows him the way out and he is rescued. And, and after this 12 round knockdown battle against temptation and the evil one himself, Jesus, because he looks upward, he comes out victorious winning the championship belt. It's unbelievable what happens in Jesus's life here. That's why Jesus includes temptation in the Lord's prayer, because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to turn inward or it's an opportunity to turn upward like Jesus. When we turn inward, it damages us more than we can ever imagine. And God gives us the free will to choose that. And if we choose that path, like some of us have, we find ourselves in a really precarious situation where we continue to hurt ourselves and hurt our relationship with God and hurt our relationship with others. But you also have an opportunity to turn upward, to hear God's voice calling you out of that darkness, to call you out and give you a way forward. He won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, he will provide a way out if you take it. And like Jesus, when we continue to say, for the scriptures say, for the scriptures say, and we continue to look to him and his truth, the devil has to go away. We can be delivered and rescued from the evil one. And like Todd said, we get to drape the championship belt over our shoulders and be victorious mm. over temptation. It's a moment by moment battle. My question is, what path will you choose? You know, forgiveness is what we all desperately need. And it's meant to be both personally experienced and extended to others. And when it comes to facing temptation, it is, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to either to turn inward and fail, or it's an opportunity to turn upward. And that's what we want to do as we close this series. We want to take a moment together to turn upward and I'd like to pray the Lord's Prayer as it is written. And Eric's going to echo the words that help flesh out what we've learned it really means. And so this is how Jesus taught his disciples and how he teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven. Dad. Hallowed be your name. You are the best. Your kingdom come. You be in charge of today. Your will be done. God, I want what you want. 
Give us today our daily bread. I am dependent on you for everything. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone indebted to us. And when I blow it today, help me to say I was wrong and help me to treat others with grace, just as you've been gracious to me. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me trust your power to help me live my life in the right direction. The Lord's Prayer. It only takes about 20 seconds to pray it, but it's 20 seconds that could completely change our lives.